Hey, I'm Amanda from Trifecta Fitness. We're proud to be Clarksville's new Get Fit headquarters. Trifecta Fitness is a state-of-the-art spin and strength training studio. Our spin studio is truly one of a kind in this area, complete with 20 state-of-the-art live fitness bikes and an incredible sound system. Our strength training is done in small groups of six or fewer, and all of our strength and spin classes are scalable for every level of experience. Come see us in the heart of Clarksville, just behind Mapco at the corner of Old Trenton Road and Wilma Rudolph Boulevard. Call us for more info at 931-542-6265 or download our Trifecta Fitness app for a full list of upcoming classes. Specializing in metal parts, machining, and fabrication since 1960, Girding Enterprises has excelled in the machining process. A truly American company, Girding Enterprises has gone from one-man shop in a basement to a world-class machine shop with over 20 employees. We strive to uphold the highest level of quality while constantly improving our efficiency level in order to offer the most affordable prices to our customers. Visit us online at girdingent.com or give us a call at 636-274-9802. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Fit Nation. We are a show founded by a veteran and hosted by two veterans and a military spouse. Our mission is to get people to tell their story to the world. If you're an author, share your tips with Ms. Fit If you're a musician or actor, our audience needs to know how they too can get into the business. Coaches, we love our coaches. Come on and share some of your tips with the Misfit Nation to help them become better versions of themselves. If you're a corporate leader or an entrepreneur, come on and share how you did it and how hard you have fought for success. If you're a veteran, first responder, or Gold Star family, we would love to have you come on and just share your story with the Misfit Nation. We always have time for you. If you're feeling down, alone, or starting to see the darkness. Stop. Think about those who are around you. You are not alone. You will be missed. If you feel like your problems will be a burden to those in your inner circle or are embarrassed, dial 988. If you are a veteran, take option one. We need you to keep pushing forward. Don't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem. If you're a new listener, welcome to the Misfit Nation. Be sure to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast apps and also on our YouTube channel at the underscore Misfit Nation. Subscribe and click the bell to keep you up to date with our latest episodes and all of our news. You can also find us on Heroes Media Group and About Face Radio. Now, let's get to the show. All right, all right, all right. We have a good one tonight y'all our next guest is an award-winning branding and reputation management expert who designs and enhances the identities of global executives entrepreneurs and thought leaders as a ceo and founder of lita 360 llc she is sought after for her knowledge of personal branding reputation management leadership communication reputation repair and online positioning so without further ado let's welcome lita citrione to the misfit nation welcome lita Hello, hello. So wonderful to be with you. It's awesome that we're able to connect and get this thing together. And you're you're about an inch and a half away to the west. So it, it's a little more daylight there now. And uh, the days are a little cooler there probably still. So you're, you're probably having a good time. We're having a great time. Colorado's beautiful this time of year. 
is our uh, About Face Radio, which we go live to on Sundays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. It's based out of Colorado as well. So nice. most of our other DJs are in Colorado. So I, I hear a lot about it all the time. <laughs> yeah, we like to tell people, but then we get mad when everybody moves here. Exactly. So it's a Colorado thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lee, I gave a little bit about you there. If you don't mind, tell us a little bit more about you from as far back as you want to go to how we got here today. <laughs> I won't go all the way back. Uh, that's, a, that's a long story. You know, um, Rich, I spent 20 years in corporate. And in that time, I helped stand up and push forward really big companies and leaders and doing all this stuff that earned me a fancy title and a fancy paycheck. But in 2008, I decided to start my own business. And what I wanted to do is instead of thinking about the corporate brand and the corporate position, I wanted to see what it would be like to work with people in those same processes. And 15 years ago, no, nobody knew the term personal branding and, and all of that. But um, I did. I started a business, my you know, consultancy here in Colorado, working with global leaders. So really people all over the world who want to tell their story in an intentional and specific way to drive certain opportunities. You might call it impression management, re reputation management. But it includes things like how we are seen online, what people say about us, and just all the different ways that we act and communicate to tell the story of who we are. And in 2009, about a year and a half into my business, I learned that the work that I'm doing with corporate executives and professionals was not even being talked about for somebody coming out of the military who is now trying to reintegrate into a civilian environment. They weren't being taught how to sell themselves, how to promote their skills, how to talk about themselves. And I decided as a civilian that I was going to try and help. And that was a long time ago, three books, a TED Talk, LinkedIn learning courses, and thousands of hours of coaching and speaking. Later, here's how I am. Here's where I am. So in a nutshell, that's what I do. That's a wild journey, Amy. Let's go from the corporate world to what you do now and, and just having that light bulb moment to say, hey, no one's really helping those who help us or those who are serving our country. How do I help them to learn how to sell themselves, really, and brand themselves? And that's something basically I got out in 2015 and it was a, hey, good luck. Go through this course and check these blocks and we're done with you. Yeah. Good luck. So I took I took a whole 365 days off before I found a, a position. I sat home until my wife really got tired of it and uh, was happy when I got a job. And uh, I moved to, I, I did geo bachelor stuff in St. Louis for a year before coming back and working remote. And I've been employed steadily since, but I knew the struggle at that point. And then starting this show and trying to realize how to brand myself as the show separate from me as me was harder hard enough. And then learning from experts like you really helps out. Well, and, and I think if you fundamentally look at the difference, right. And, and, the only reason I can speak to the military is because I've coached and mentored thousands of, of transitioning service members, veterans, and military spouses. It's certainly not my experience. But when you think fundamentally, culturally, right, the civilian sector versus the military culture, the military teaches service before self. So the military teaches you it's not about you. It's about those you serve alongside. So you're supposed to claim and accept responsibility and accountability but not seek credit and fame and recognition, which is awesome. And I, I sometimes think that businesses would do a lot better if we had more of that in our culture. 
but fundamentally, the civilian environment is very much about, you know, self-promotion and talking yourself up and, and using the word I. I am very comfortable speaking about my accomplishments and my track record and using first person to do that. But when a veteran does that, it's first of all, usually very uncomfortable. And then they'll tend to use the collective. So they'll say, we did this or my company, my unit, my squadron, this is what we did. And I'm so proud of what they did. And a civilian doesn't understand that. A hiring manager doesn't understand that. You know, there's a number that's really important and it's 98. 98% of the American population is not prior military. So if you think about that, you know, that veteran is, is speaking in plural, is speaking in third person to an audience that 98% chance is not prior military and doesn't understand why isn't this guy taking credit for it? Why isn't, why isn't he proud? Or why isn't she talking about things she did that she's proud of? They don't understand philosophically why you would not be predisposed to want to take credit for something you did. Exactly. And I, I believe now, even in the job I'm in now, since I'm surrounded by veterans in my job, we all still speak that same way. It's all our team did this or our uh, the Fort Campbell team did this and we produced this amount of soldiers trained. We did this. It's never there's no never a spotlight on any one of us. And if it does wind up on one of us, we're all kind of humbled and we wind up taking everyone out for lunch or something just because <laughs> spotlight came on us. And, and it's not that black and white, right? I mean, you do find civilians, especially savvy leaders who know that the collective and the collaborative holds more value. Um, but there's still a training, if you will. We were all brought up to know what makes us great and be able to sell our story. Um, that's how we get jobs. That's how we grow our career and compete for opportunities. So there's a big disconnect. And, and I'm often asked when I either speak to employers or I speak to veterans, you know, which side do we need to fix, right? Do we need to fix the veterans or do we need to fix the employers? And it isn't a one or the other. It's yeah. just kind of understanding that there's a cultural difference. There's a language difference. There's a work style difference. And neither's right, neither's wrong. Um, but appreciating that difference is where we can find commonality and opportunity. Right. And uh, I, I like that you said it's it's neither side as, as uh, wrong in the, in the aspect. It's just learning what each other has done or where we're both coming from. It kind of helps out a lot as you walk through that door. And you're, I'm, if I walk through a door and I see nothing but people who never served, and they're looking at me like this robot military guy. And for a while, they just thought we were just all these guys that were and gals that were just, oh, they're they're just killers. They're crazy people. They just want to do this. They've been to war so long. We don't want them here, but we have to entertain this interview just so you know we keep face. And you kind of get that feeling when you walk in the room. Oh, it's a check the block interview. I just drove from Tennessee to Washington D.C. for a check the block interview. It's kind of disheartening. And that's where I, that's what happened to me on my way. I got there. Oh, your college is the one college we're looking for. So oh, sorry. Thank you. Oh, all right. Thank you. But then I got offered a job on the way home. So it kind of helped out. It kind of went to dumps and up to the top again. But I knew the, I knew the wave at that point. I knew I had to do something to help my brothers and sisters. And my first job really lined me up for that. And now I really help them as I train soldiers every day. So. There you go. That's yeah. what it's about. And, and that's, you know, another thing I think we, we don't appreciate fully about somebody who's got a military background. Um, 
you don't leave that sense of service and commitment and volunteerism when you take the uniform off, right? We don't have a mil- we don't have a draft in this country. So anyone after what is it, 1973, volunteered to join the military. And there's there's so much honor that comes with that that I don't think we recognize that it was it was a selection, whether it was after 9-11 and you know, somebody felt compelled to do something, which is a there was a huge up uptick in um, enrollment, or whether it was a family business, as many of you call it, um, that's somebody volunteering to protect me and my freedom. And one of the things I often share is my mother was actually raised in communist Hungary. And when the war ended and she was able to leave the country and she came here as she was raising my brother and I, she taught us like freedom. (laughs) You don't take it for granted. Like it doesn't come without a cost. And if you ever get a chance to say thank you to someone who has served, by all means, you do it. And so the work that I do here is just a very tiny way of saying thank you, because it's because of you and everyone else that that I get to live in this country and and travel freely. Definitely. And uh, I think a lot of people need to think back to when their parents and grandparents came here and Mm -hmm. they went through to get here. Some people were, this might be their first generation in the States. And so they're seeing things a totally new light, but yeah. like you, your mom was out in Hungary. My grandfather was the first one to come here from Italy in 1906. Wow. So my dad was the first generation American Italian. And then, and then us, us scoundrels after him, but <laughs> my dad served in the army because that's what they did. His, his age group, that's what they did. They, they yeah. grew up, they served, they did their service. Then they went on to do careers or build families and such like that. And then I looked at him in there and sat on his lap watching the military it's either Vietnam or something happened in the Middle East. And I said, that's what I'm going to be a soldier. It looks like it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's not, but that's what you want to do. Yeah. And finally, when I, he finally let me join. Well, when he had no choice, when I was already in college, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I joined and he, he said he was proud of me, but he was always scared that something would happen. And of course we went to war for 20 years. So, <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think fear is a big part of it. Right. And it's just not just your fear, but it's, it's the spouses, it's the children, it's the parents of, you know, the soldier, the airman, the Marine. It's, I mean, it is a family commitment to serve this nation and yeah. And you, and you volunteered. So that's pretty cool. And especially during the, like you said, there was a lot of the wave right after 9-11 of people that right. raised their hand right away and went running in. But then there was kids that were born saying 2001 and 2018 were still at war and they're joining. Yeah. Because, and they know we're still at war. So that's something you got to think about. This young man, this young woman knew that we were still in conflict and still raised their right hand and said, I want to do this. Pretty amazing. That, that, that makes your heart swell a little bit and, and know that we still have good people that still want to lay it down for their country and their fellow brother and sister. Absolutely. And thank goodness for that, right? <laughs> and which takes us back to what you do for when they come out on the other side of it. So if they joined in 2018, some of them might be getting out right now. Mm-hmm. They might have done the four-year, five-year thing. And, hey, how do I get into the other side of the world here? How do I, I take these boots off and become into a corporation? Or how do I turn my skills into an entrepreneurship or something like that? How do you uh, face that head on with them? Well, I, I several different ways. So I've written three books. Um, mm-hmm. Two are directed at that service member or military spouse who's getting ready to leave um, their military duty. One is actually for employers. So kind of came at it from the other angle. But um, 
you know, I, I have tons of online programs. I write for military.com. I've been writing for them for almost 11 years now. Um, my LinkedIn learning courses are wildly popular with the military space. I also do a lot of mentoring uh, as well as coaching. And then I speak. So every month for almost nine years, this summer, it'll be nine years. I've been going down to the Air Force Academy and I teach in the TAP program. Um, so the, I'm on the first day of tap right before they talk about finance, which is really fun. Um, they're all jacked up and all excited and, and ready to go. And then they talk about credit cards and interest rates. Um, I go all over the country and speak at conferences on military installations, just anywhere I can get an audience with a military group is, is perfect. Um, and what I'm doing is I'm taking them through sort of the inside out uh, process of building your brand. And when I do this in a, in a corporate environment, totally different response. When I do this in a military, whether someone has served four years or 44 years, the, the looks that I get are so different because I'm talking about like, who are you rich as a person, as a human being? And what do you value? What do you stand for? What do you, what are you passionate about? And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> like this, yeah, I've not thought about these things. And even someone who's been in for four years, right. you know, your focus has been so, you know, elsewhere, but we're talking about who you are and how you want to show up in this world in your next career. And for f some folks, I mean, I, I think the highest I've coached is three stars. Um, oh. It's a really hard conversation for them to, to navigate, it brings up all sorts of things. And then that disconnect of service before self shows up. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm being boastful or I'm taking credit for the service of others. And, and that's not what's happening. It's just in order to go forward in this new culture and new environment, you've got to be able to talk about you because just to put a resume in front of someone, it's not how people get jobs. It's not how we find careers. You mentioned earlier, you know, getting that, taking 365 days off and then getting that first job. It's not hard to get a job, but to find a career path, that's sometimes really hard. And I'm sometimes more worried about the person who, you know, served 20 years or 12 years and, and they've got that first job and they've checked that box and they think they've got it, you know, they're golden. I want to make sure that person's okay in six months or a year. Um, because it's different to choose a career or at least have a sense of direction. You know, this is what I loved about my time in the military. This is the kinds of impact that I had and that this is the direction I want to go to be able to continue doing that. That's different than they've offered me a job. It's a paycheck. My spouse has stopped yelling. What am I going to do next? We can buy a house near her folks. Everything's calmed down. A lot of folks are making that job decision but not thinking about their career. And that, that can be problematic down the road. Exactly. And that, that's a key point. Because I think uh, as of 2016, there was a high percentage of people who would get out and take that first job, but they wouldn't last the six months to a year. So a lot of veterans would not last in that first job because one, they couldn't find that purpose there. They didn't feel a challenge and they just didn't fit in. So they, they didn't feel like it was what they really wanted, even though if they thought it was at the beginning. And they wound up back in the in the job pool again, trying to find that next real good thing for themselves. And in the process, you know, their ego is now taking a hit because here they had this sense of mission and purpose in the military. 
they thought they checked the box, as you said, and, and they didn't. And now they're back in the unemployment line and feeling dejected and people are questioning. But the employer is also having a different experience. They thought they hired someone they were proud to hire, right? Not only does this person have enough of the skills, but they served our country and that's so wonderful and they're excited. And then that person just leaves. Oftentimes without asking for help, without asking for additional training or resources, they just quit. So both sides are feeling kind of dejected. And now that veteran is back in the unemployment line, trying to do it all over again. And feeling like the thing I hear a lot is I felt like I transitioned, but I feel like I'm doing it again. And I always remind veterans transition is not a day. It's not your retirement ceremony. It's not, you know, it's not the day you exit the military. Transition is a process. And that process can take 10 years in some cases. It's, it's moving through the stages to be able to get to a place where you feel like you've got your footing. Right. Um, and, and that's not just one event. So to be going back to the beginning of the line and doing it over and over, that is very normal. It's kind of like my first job out of the military. I didn't quit. I wanted to leave after a year, but I didn't want to be a statistic. And I was kind of hard-headed not wanting to be a statistic. So I stayed an extra year, watched my friends in my office leave, and wanted to get pushed out, actually. And uh, then I finally just said, I, I can't do this no more. And I, my old first son called me, and the light, the, all the stars aligned, and I wanted to be in a better place. And uh, thankfully for him, and that put me in a better position to say, hey, Here's my two weeks, and this is why I just can't do it no more. And I'll see you later. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, good for you. And and you know, it's all about making choices. When when I whenever I coach somebody, whether it's an executive, a, a service member, it's it's about making sure you're feeling in control of the choices you have in front of you. And and when we don't feel in control, we make typically bad decisions, bad choices. When we feel like we're in control, we tend to make better decisions for us. So if you're approaching, you know, your, your exit date and everybody's looking at you going, well, what are we going to do? What's the job going to be? And you feel all that pressure. The first job that comes along is going to feel like a good decision. But is it a choice or is it simply, I just want, I want the noise to stop. I want the pressure to stop. That's not a decision. That's, I mean, that's a whole different process. Um, I would rather somebody think about it in a more proactive sense um, and make choices that are good for them, good for their family and honor their service, but put them on a career path that, that will give them more longevity and, and not just that quick reaction. Definitely. The knee-jerk reaction kind yeah. of is what leads to that high statistic, I believe. And I think if we can stop that uh, amongst the, I guess a lot of the big career people will do that too. But like you said, you, you were also mentored to three stars. That's someone that's been probably near 30 years. And uh, mm -hmm. that's a lot, that's a lifetime. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like a lifetime oh, yeah. putting the boots on and all of a sudden, now what do I do with my hands? I don't know what to do now. And how do I, how do I make this happen? I bet that was a bigger challenge than a four-year or the 15-year career person. It's just different. It's yeah. it's literally just different. You're right. This is a person who has spent their whole adult life in that in that con in that culture, um, and it is like, what do I do with my hands? Why aren't people standing up when I walk into the room? Um, how do I dress? Can I wear my you know my medals on the? No, you don't wear them on a business suit. Like, I mean, just it's getting it's understanding that their identity is not their role. 
And that's really hard when you've got a somebody who was career military, just like if you have someone who was the CEO of a company and then they leave that post and they don't know who they are anymore. Right. Somebody, somebody who's younger, who may have served four or eight years, they're still in that growth period. So they don't have some of the challenges that somebody who's been more career military has, but they also haven't figured out their identity. So they're still in that upward momentum and then you take them out of the culture. So I wouldn't say one is easier. Just like people ask me, is it easier to work with enlisted versus officer? It's just different. It's just all a different experience. Someone who's had multiple deployments, someone who's who's got a service disability. Okay. Is it an invisible or a visible service disability? Like they're all just different. Um, and the world needs everybody. So we've just got to make sure that person feels that they are in charge of the options they're attracting and the choices they're making. Definitely. And that's a key point you made there with the officer enlisted because a lot of the young officers, they stay until maybe captain. And that's where, that's their choice line right there. Most mm -hmm. of them, they make that decision that captain, you know, it's four to five, six years at tops and they're getting out. And there's a kid that joined at 18. Mm-hmm. He's four to six years. They're about the same age. So you have an enlisted kid, an officer. The officer has that college education. That's the only thing they have in their back pocket. The enlisted kid may have some classes that they were able to take along the way, but that might be the challenge between them. But they both are pretty young and still wet behind the ears going into the corporate world at that point or any any career path at that point. And, and I think that's a good point because, you know, one of the things I wrote in that book, <laughs> I'm trying to get the hand thing, that book. Uh, success after service is employment isn't the only career path after the military. Education, we see a lot of veterans coming out of the military and getting their bachelor's, getting their, you know, their doctorate. And they're using those post-GI Bill, post-9-11 GI Bill funds to really advance their education. Now, if they're doing it just because they're they're not sure what to do and it's a way to kind of kick the can down the road, that's not the best option. Um, but a lot of them are saying, you know, I've got some military skills. I've, I've got some passion in this area, but an education's really going to give me that, that entree. So I talk about what it's like for someone who might be 25, 26 years old to be a freshman or to be back in school. I've got one guy right now, he's in his mid thirties and he goes, I look like the old guy in the classroom. <laughs> I'm like, mid thirties is old. Wow. Okay. Um, but it's a very non-traditional student experience. He's got a family. He's been to war. Like, you know, he's not like most of the kids he's in school with. Then the other path is entrepreneurship. And we know that veterans do really well as entrepreneurs. It's, I mean, it's a high risk environment to be an entrepreneur, but I don't think it compares to what you all do in terms of risk. Um, and we know that a lot of the skills that somebody who has served in the military exits with are fabulous for building businesses, whether it's franchises, um, new ideas, or established businesses that they just want to take over and run with. So employment, entrepreneurship, and education are really the three places that we see veterans pursue after the military. Yeah, and entrepreneurship, uh, I think I was five months out from getting, before I retired, and I was getting all these calls from entrepreneur, I guess, headhunters, I guess that's what they mm -hmm. call it, to try to get me to go into their franchise or something. And I was like, I really don't know. I don't know if that's what I want to do. This sounds amazing. I don't think that's what I want to do right now. So I didn't rush into that, thankfully. And I kind of 
kept on ducks in a row. I didn't get my bachelor's until the January before I retired in June. So it took me a long time to get that bachelor's, but I did it. And now, now I'm still going to school and uh, starting my dissertation today, actually. It's, it's the first day of the dissertation process. So, wow. Yeah. So I am the old guy in class. <laughs> well, you know, and, and employers are starting to look at the bachelor degree recommend or requirement. And I was just part of a conversation where you had some of the big Wall Street banks and the big global tech companies in a room saying, we've gotten to the point where we recognize that a bachelor doesn't mean somebody who's got 15 years in the military, you know, it doesn't necessarily give them an advantage. And they're starting to look at education and skills um, differently. And I think that's going to be fabulous for someone who comes out of the military and says, I don't want to get that degree, but I still want to participate in these, you know, civilian opportunities and employers going, yeah, everything you've done in in the real world counts. And so we're going to find a way to balance that out. Uh, yeah, it finishes that the equation, I guess. Uh, exactly. out, so it helps out a lot. And the mindset has to change as long as people like you are still talking to them and saying, look, this is something that we need to bridge that divide because there's a lot of people that they don't do good in school. And that's why they join the military to begin with. And they're not good at tests. They're not good at, uh, I guess, planning out a research paper, but they are good at putting widgets together or leading people. And that's what mm-hmm. you want. You want someone that can lead and figure something out and that's where we uh, we can bridge that divide and get people in the right places. And and I think smart companies recognize that even if it is about certain certifications or or credentials somebody needs to have to do a job, that you can teach somebody those skills. You can teach them how to get a PMP certification, but you can't teach someone to have character. And when you hire a veteran or a military spouse, you're talking about somebody who's got soft skills like, you know, resiliency and adaptability and cultural, you know, differentiation and um, and being able to work under pressure. And you can't teach somebody that. You can teach them Java. You can teach them project management. But why not hire somebody with the character traits that you want and then get them the certifications? And a lot of employers are starting to wake up to that, which is really good news. Definitely. That's a good wave to start there in the get people in the seat before they have to have all the credentials signed off on. Yeah. So how does someone get in contact with you, Lita, to maybe have you speak to say like Fort Campbell tap program here <laughs> or, or any military base or, or just to chat with you like we are now? Well, all roads lead to my website, which is lita360.com. It's L-I-D-A 360.com. Um, I'm pretty active on social media, LinkedIn being the main hub. A lot of people find me through my TEDx that I did about my work with the military. And I would be honored if your veteran listeners would listen to it because I think I shared their story as a civilian the best way and the the most honorable way I could. But I think it's really important for employers to hear that message too, because as civilians, I know we can do more. And I think a lot of companies are starting to recognize that. So to answer your question, website, LinkedIn, I'm pretty findable on pretty much every social platform out there. Awesome. And I'll put you on the spot. Three tips to to give to a talent manager and to the soldier coming out to make that divide easier and maybe be successful. I would say in both cases, understand there's a cultural difference. And I think as civilians, we understand if somebody comes from a different country, 
that maybe we have to explain things differently because in our country, we do it this way. And in their country, they might do it differently. But when you see an American veteran in front of you, we forget that there's a cultural difference. So understand both sides should recognize there's a cultural difference. Neither one is wrong. Neither one is is 100% right. Let's just have better conversations to bridge some of that divide. I think the second thing is to look beyond the, the resume, look beyond the education. Um, not to say that education isn't valuable. My kids know I drilled it into them. I was brought up that you got to have the education. But if somebody has served as a combat medic, they're probably going to have some nursing experience in high risk situations that might put them a little bit ahead of somebody who's just right out of school. So being able to appreciate that skills don't always look the same if somebody comes out of the military and have some really good questions. I would say employers, interviewers have some really good questions to unpack what that experience really looks like so that you can understand um, what that person actually did and how those exportable and transferable skills play out. And for the veteran in that situation, understand that when they're doubling down on a question and that recruiter keeps saying, okay, Rich, but I'm not, I'm not getting it. They're not being difficult. There's a difference in how we, how we speak about ourselves. And your job as a job applicant is to really know how to position yourself. I think the last thing I would say is there's so much room here to grow. There's so much room to grow. And I, I know veterans who walked into major corporations, not physically, but approached major corporations and said, I've always been a fan of your brand. And I, I don't see that you hire a lot of prior military. And that's who I am. I'm a, a colonel from the army or a captain from you know, this branch. And I'd love to be part of that solution with you. And some really smart companies said, yeah, let's have that conversation. And now they have veteran hiring groups and veteran resource groups and military spouse groups. And, and there's this whole vibrant community within the organization because a veteran reached out and said, you don't have a lot of people here who look like me. What if I was part of helping you figure that out? Retention goes up, sourcing and attraction goes up, and the fulfillment of that veteran goes up. So it is a win-win for employers to recognize the value of hiring veterans and for, for the veterans out there and military spouses to say, let me see how I can help here and, and let's see if we can figure this out together. That's a great opportunity for both sides. Outstanding. And I put you on the spot. You nailed it. You hit a home run right there. Perfect. Perfect. You jumped off the top of the mountains out there and did it for me. That's awesome. Thank you, Lita, for taking some of your time tonight to hang out with us. Well, thank you. And thank you for thank you for your service to our country. Thank you for everyone who is listening, uh, military spouses and veterans, as well as active duty service members who might be listening. And for the employers who are listening, it is worth the conversation. Please reach out to people like Rich and people like me and just start those conversations. Awesome. Thank you and have a good night. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the Misfit Nation. Don't forget to visit our website at themisfitnation.com. It's themisfitnation.com to catch up on all of our episodes and also to get some of that great Misfit Nation gear. As always, be humble, stay hungry, and keep hustling because we are 